following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. It's a moment of truth, you know. We pray you're doing well. We pray God is... Uh, filling your life with his presence. Uh, we'll be looking this morning at Ephesians chapter 3, uh, the very last few verses. And uh, to give a little uh, background to how the book of Ephesians is laid out, uh, general information you may may or might, may not know, but the, uh, the first three chapters really speak very clearly about all that God has done in us and for us. So as we've looked through these first three chapters, it just has these amazing declarations of what is true of our life as believers in Christ and what God has already done and accomplished uh, for us through Christ and through His Spirit. Uh, Then, as is often the case in in many of Paul's writings, the second half of the book, uh, chapters 4 through 6, really tell us what we're supposed to do. So the first half is what God has done in us, and through a second part is what we're supposed to do in response to that, and how we're to walk in obedience, what, what we're supposed to do with all this great reality. Uh, the first part really looks at this sphere or the spiritual reality that we have entered into. And so he starts off by talking about all the blessings that we've received in the spiritual realms, in the heavenly realms. And uh, we've now become residents in this whole new sphere of existence. And so the second half of the book, it looks at what that means in our everyday life here in this world and in this existence. Uh, what does it mean for us to be living with one foot in this heavenly realm and one foot on planet Earth? And it's supposed to make a difference in how we live. And so the second half looks at that uh, in very practical terms. The first half is very theoretical and very theological. Those of you who love theology really get into the first half. The second part is much more practical. And those of you who are much more just down to earth, just tell me what to do kind of people, will really like the second half. Because it's just, okay, do this, do that. right? And in between these two halves, these two uh, broad categories of looking at truth, uh, is this amazing prayer at the end of chapter 3. And this prayer really serves as a transition and is really a hinge between these two halves of the book. It stands as a capstone of everything he said so far. And really in this prayer he focuses everything that he said uh, into this prayer. So this prayer is a great summary of everything that he's talked about up to this point, And focuses all that he said about this reality we live in into a prayer that we would appropriate or we would experience all that he's been talking about. But at the same time, it's also really the foundation of what will give us the power or ability to do what he's going to ask us to do in the second half of the book. It's very significant and important that Paul never starts a book you know, with chapter 4. And I don't mean just the number, but I mean in concept. That he never starts off uh, speaking about or dealing with instructions about what we ought to do. Those things are already always a response to what God has already done and how we should live in response to that. And so Paul wants to be very careful that as he moves forward, he, he does it prayerfully, that what he's about to ask us to do, we do in the power of God working in us. We do it because uh, of this work that he's going to pray for in the end of chapter 3. And the focus of this prayer, uh, well, let's just go ahead and read it. Ephesians 3, beginning at verse 14. He says, When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the Creator of everything in heaven and earth, or the the one in whom every family on earth gets its name. I pray that from His glorious, unlimited resources, He will empower you with inner strength through His Spirit. Then Christ will make His home in your hearts as you trust Him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, all, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is His love. May you experience the love of Christ, 
though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Great prayer. And we're actually, it's so good. This prayer is so good. We can't do this all in one Sunday. It's just too much stuff here. Uh, So we're going to just do a half this Sunday and half next Sunday. And we want to focus on really the, the main point of the prayer. He actually has, depending on how you divide it up, two, potentially three requests. Uh, the first, we're going to look at the first part of the first request this, this morning, which really focuses on power. He asked that it would be given to them to be strengthened with power in the inner man, in the inner being, in the inner person. And so we want to look at what that looks like to be strong from the inside out, to be filled with God's power to do what He's called us to do. So let's start by looking at power. What is this power He's talking about? He says, I, I ask, I pray, I kneel before the Father, praying that you would be strengthened with power. Um, well, what is power? It can be kind of a scary word, especially if you work with things like electricity or things like that. You know, power is a force, right? It's a, it's a something that gives us the ability or working to do something. So if it's electricity, it, it energizes things to do stuff, Right? That's a good, you know, high, sophisticated definition. Gives you the energy to do stuff. All right, in our own lives, power is exactly the same thing. It's the ability or capacity to do or accomplish things. It really is the power to succeed, and I don't mean necessarily succeed. Well, it's really succeed by any way you define it. Uh, to be successful in anything, you need power to accomplish it, and that's what power is. It's the working to do what you set out to do. Now, of course, the easiest way to really picture this is God himself, who is is said to be all-powerful, unlimited in power. And what that means is God can do whatever he wants. He can do anything he wants. He can create the universe because he has the power to do that. And uh, it speaks of all resources, all power, all ability, all wisdom. God is never short on resources. When he was going to build the universe, he didn't have to make it smaller than he originally planned because he ran out of atoms, right? or because he ran out of energy. Okay, There's no end or limit to his resources. There's no end or limit to his ability. He didn't run up against a really tough spot in the universe and scratch his head going, boy, I just don't know what to do here. It's just not coming together for me here, right? He doesn't have those problems. Everything he needs, wisdom, resources, uh, materials, energy, power, he has all those things to do anything he wills or sets his mind to. And, And... Power in our own life is really defined the same way. It's the ability, resources, capacity, energy to do anything we will to do. All right? And uh, in a worldly sense, it, it means to be successful in, in, in our business ventures, in our work, in, in raising a family, and taking care of life. Uh, ultimately, as, as Paul defines it here, it's the ability to be successful living the life that God called us to. And in, verse, in chapter 4, verse 1, he starts off by saying, Now I, I challenge you, I beg you, I urge you to live worthy of your calling. Live a life worthy of your calling. Well, how do you do that? How do you live worthy of what God's called us to? Well, you need power to do that. You need ability, capacity, strengthening, wisdom to do that. So Paul is praying for power here. He's, at, he's asking that we would have the capacity to do what God's called us to. And uh, again, this prayer has a forward focus and a backward focus. And so that power really is in two areas. First of all, I think it has to do with the power to grasp everything he's talked about in chapters 1 to 3. He's talked about some amazing stuff in chapters 1 to 3, and it's stuff that without the right capacity or power just bounces off of us. Okay? It's kind of like pouring, you know, trying to pour a thousand gallons of water into a thimble. You know, after the first three drops, that's it, and it just overflows. If we don't expand our capacity to absorb what he's talking about, it just kind of all goes by us. 
right? And he's really talked about some amazing things in the first three chapters. He's talked about this idea of living in this spiritual realm. Well, we need a whole new capacity of brain power and thinking and insight to understand what it means to live spiritually. That life is more than just this physical realm. So that takes power. Uh, he talks about being adopted as God's true children. Okay, becoming uh, God's true sons and daughters. Well, to live in that, to, to take possession of that truth takes a power beyond us. Right, to grasp what that means. Um, he talks a lot in the first three chapters about enjoying the wealth of His grace. And repeatedly he talks about the riches of God's kindness, the riches of His grace, the wealth of God's provision. Okay, it's kind of like uh, you know, holding our, our little tiny hands out. Uh, imagine you know, a little one-year-old trying to catch all of God's riches. Right? We need bigger hands. We need bigger buckets. All right? Lots bigger buckets. And so God wants to strengthen and empower enable our ability to receive the riches of His grace, all right? to understand it, to grasp it. We need a brain charge. You know, I think if God were to reveal His glory in its full splendor and riches, we'd just blow fuses right and left, you know, because we're not wired to, to receive that kind of information. So we need rewiring with heavier wires, heavier material in our thinking and in our brain so that we can grasp the grandeur and majesty of God. Um, he says that we have been saved by grace. We drink in this life-changing power uh, in order to do good works that he's prepared for us to do ahead of time. Okay, To do these good works, we need to be empowered and equipped, strengthened. Uh, finally, he talks about, uh, at length about being the temple of God, experiencing God's presence. That God did all this so that he would dwell in our midst. Uh, when Israel was faced with this possibility, remember back at Mount Sinai? God said, hey, I want to camp out with you guys. I, I want to set my tent right in the middle of you guys, and I want to camp out with you. And he started by coming down and stepping on the mountain. And what did Israel do? Ah, no, don't talk to us. You'll kill us. You speak and we'll die. Okay, We're not strong enough for this. Send Moses. That way if he dies, it's no, no great loss. Right? But don't talk to us directly. It's too much, right? We, and the same thing is true for us. If we, in our own human weakness, come before God, there's no way we can bear the weight of His glory, the weight of His presence. We are not suitable to be a temple for Him without being strengthened and empowered so that we become able to be a place where God dwells. So all the things that he talks about in the first three chapters, he says, look, none of this is going to matter. None of this is going to mean anything to you unless you are strengthened in your inner man with great power. Unless you are charged up and fortified and enlarged so you have greater capacity to grasp and live out all these incredible things that God has done for you. God has given us this wealth of spiritual blessing. Uh, are you able to receive it? Well, not without some serious remodeling Got to get in there and dig out the foundations and bolster them. You'll just God will just crush you right into the ground with all His goodness, right? So we got to be strengthened. But also it looks forward to the power to measure up to our calling. And as we go through the next ch chapters, He's going to talk about living worthy. He's going to talk about making a difference in the world by using our God-given gifts and capacities to build up His church. Okay, that's a pretty heavy responsibility each of us has to each other, to be building each other up in Christ. We need His empowering to do that. Um, otherwise, the whole church, he says, just becomes stuck in infancy and in weakness and doesn't experience power as a group corporately. So we need to be strengthened to handle that responsibility. Um, he talks about um, shining as a brilliant light for Christ in the world. Says you need to be lights for Christ. Well, in order to be lights for Christ, we have to have that light burning powerfully within us so it can shine outwardly. He talks about overcoming sin and evil desire and all the things that get us stuck in, uh, in evil and wickedness. Well, it takes power to overcome sin. It takes inward strengthening. He's going to talk about 
enjoying the truest and deepest kind of intimacy in marriage and in family and being parents. Okay? It takes power, strengthening to do all that. And then finally, he talks about being victorious in spiritual battle. Okay? Like it or not, we're all stuck in spiritual battle. And the enemy is coming against us. And he's a lot bigger than we are. And if we're not strengthened, bolstered, if we're not putting on the full armor of God, we're going to get rolled over. So he prays this prayer for strength. Um, and that's what power is. Well, the fact that he asks for us to be strengthened implies that we're not. Okay? He doesn't say, I know you guys are already so strong and tough, you just need a little fine-tuning. That's not what he says. He says, you need serious strengthening. And he implies that we are weak in our inner person. That we are inwardly weak. Well, first of all, we've got to ask, answer a couple of questions here. He talks about, uh, literally, he says that you are, would be strengthened in your inner man, your inner being. Um, if we're to be strengthened here, or if we are weak here, what is he talking about? What is this inner person? Well, uh, it, it really is all that we are inwardly. Okay, all that we are on the inside. All right? uh, it, it includes things like our, our thoughts, our will, our choosing, uh, our, our, our intentions to do things. Uh, it has to do with our emotional makeup and how we feel about things. It's those nebulous, really hard to define things like soul and spirit and heart. All of those somehow make up this internal being that is us. All right, um, our true identity, who we really are. It includes things like our longings and desires, our deepest longings and desires, what we want to be, what we aspire to. All of those things come from deep within us. Okay, uh, They're influenced by outside factors, but they ultimately come from somewhere deep within us. And it's really the real being, who I am. Uh, all combined together. My thoughts, my, my actions, my feelings, my will, my intentions, my hopes, my dreams. Uh, probably a modern equivalent, and again, words are kind of dangerous because different cultures, different people define these words differently, and sometimes we use them one way and somebody means something else. But it, it probably could be described as simply our heart or our soul. Uh, now, if you, if you use the word heart to mean like our feelings, our emotions, you've got to think bigger than that. Okay? It's not simply our emotions. Okay? If, you, if you think of heart as simply something to do with Valentine's, think a little bigger. Maybe a few soul would work better. Okay? It's the inward part of our being, okay, who we are. And he says that this needs strengthening because the reality is our heart, our soul, is weak and broken. Okay? It is weak and it's broken on the inside. Um, sin has done its greatest damage inwardly. Now, it's, done, it's had impacts outwardly as well. In fact, the whole universe, it says, Paul says in Romans, is groaning under the curse of sin. And there's disease, and there's sickness, and there's war, and there's conflict, and there's problems, there's weeds, there's nasty bugs. Uh, there's problems in the world because of sin. I'm blaming bugs on sin. I don't know if that's true or not, but... Uh, that's, what I, that's where I'm going with it. Okay. But that's nothing compared to the damage that sin has done in us, in the inner man. Its greatest effect, its most damaging influence has been inwardly. And it has left us, each person, shelled and totaled, okay, destroyed and crushed. Partly by the sin of our own doing and partly by the sin of others. Right? We all end up coming out of uh, childhood, most of us by the time we're 10 years old, are already quite broken, right? If not by 10, certainly by the time you graduate from high school, okay? If you survived up through grade school, good. You'll never survive middle school. Nobody gets through middle school. It just, it's, it just wrecks you, right? And, and then there's high school. Man, you know, we just don't stand a chance. Then you go into adulthood and it's just, you're crushed, right? You've been broken and damaged. You tried love, and you know the problem is you loved people who were selfish. You loved people who were sinners. And you let people who were sinners love you. And the result is a broken, damaged heart. Every person. Okay, nobody escapes this. 
uh, says that Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. Okay, the reason he had to come to heal the brokenhearted is because every human being is broken in heart. Okay, inside, we are not strong. Now, we don't like to admit this, and I, I'm convinced that most people go through life clueless, oblivious to this reality. Especially if you're, if, if, if you're not believers, but even believers oftentimes go through life oblivious to that, that, that they have an inside. Okay, sadly, this is not something we talk about often enough. Uh, the idea of, of having a soul and it being a significant part of our life is largely missed and bypassed. Uh, up until just a few years ago, I didn't know I had a soul. Well, I knew I had one, but I had no idea what it was and paid no attention to it. All right? it's the, it is the core of our being. Okay? It's kind of like saying, oh, I didn't know my car had an engine. Am I supposed to do something with it? Right? Okay, if, you don't, if you don't know you have an engine, you don't do critical things like check the oil and uh, take care of it, pretty soon you won't have a car with an engine. You'll have a car that just doesn't move, right? That's kind of what happens to us. We live as if our soul, our inner being, was of no consequence to our life. And Satan very cleverly has focused all of our living outwardly in the sphere of the outside world where our body interacts with people and with the world and with the environment. And we think that's who we are and that's what life is. And so we don't realize how broken and weak we are on, on the inside. Um, but I know we're this way because we are people who are dominated by fear and worry and seeking for self-glory and self-importance. And all those are little windows into the inside saying, you know, inside things are not as they should be. Uh, and every once in a while we get these little glimpses into the weakness of our heart. Now for me, these glimpses come best when they're removed by about 20 years, okay? I can see the weakness of my soul 20 years ago much better than I can see it today. I'm hoping it's because I was weaker in my soul 20 years ago than I am today. I don't know. But I, I, the other day, I just had this, you know how you get these kind of flashes from the past? And I got this flash from the past of being invited to this party. And uh, it was at this counseling clinic that I worked at, and the director of the clinic was hosting this party for everybody, all the psychologists and therapists and shrinks. It's a bunch of shrinks, okay, <laughs> basically. Uh, and we were invited to his house for this party. And this guy is world-renowned, okay, and um, written many books, well-known. Uh, the, the people that I worked with in this clinic were all PhDs and psychiatrists and doctors and made a lot of money. Uh, I don't know how I missed that. Somehow I was there. That never rubbed off on me. Um, and we're going to this party with Denise, and we got there actually early because he told me the wrong time, and Phil kind of silly. You know, you get there before everybody else does. You never want to do that. And... Um, I just had this flashback to feeling so out of place at this party. And just feeling like everybody in that room and everybody as they came and showed up, I just couldn't wait to get out of there. In fact, I think we left quite early as I fled the scene, just feeling weak and inferior and totally out of place. And uh, all these fears and weaknesses just came up while I was there. And I just thought, I don't belong here. I'm not equal with these guys. I don't... You know, I don't, I, I, I have nothing to say to these guys. What happens if they find out who I really am? And just feeling fearful inside. And at the time, I didn't really consciously really take note of it. You know, I just ran. I just ran. Got to get back to the kids or whatever. I don't know what the excuse was, right? But looking back on it now, I just saw how much weakness was really there. How much fear. And the truth is, as a believer in Christ, as a child of God, uh, not because of anything I am, but just because of the work God had done redeeming me, the things that he talks about in the first three chapters of Ephesians, I was much more a person than any of them who weren't Christians. Because right? I was redeemed. But I, I didn't see that work of God in me. And so I crawled away. And I'm sure to this day, nobody there knows who I am. You know, If I were to show up, they'd go, oh, you work here, really? Because <laughs> I, was, I was living weak and insignificant. Um, and that's how we are. Okay, now, you may have fears and insecurities in different places. Your weaknesses may come out in different areas. But we all 
come into this world weak, broken people. As a consequence of that, we all attempt to be strong, uh, but we can never become strong inwardly of our own doing. Okay, it's an area that is just off limits to our, our effect or our power. All right? And we'll talk about that in a bit. But uh, you know, we, can, we can make small adjustments to the inward man, but without God's help, without the work of the Holy Spirit within us, nobody can gain true inner strength. So what we do is we try to become strong outwardly uh, as a substitute, compensating for those weaknesses. And so that's why you know, there's, there's people who, who pursue physical strength, you know, they know they're weak on the inside, so they're just going to build up their body and they're going to be physically strong. All right? These are the football players, the all-star wrestlers, you know, the Rambos of the world who are out there. Sadly, some of them in Christian form. I still haven't figured this out yet. The strength starts on the inside. And, there, and there's nothing, of course, there's nothing wrong with exercise. There's nothing wrong with being physically fit. There's nothing wrong with being able to bend steel. If you can do that, man, hallelujah. Bend steel for God, you know. But... That will never make you truly strong. That's not ever a substitute for where you are truly weak. But a lot of people, that's how they decide they're going to be strong. I'm weak inside, so I'll just beat you up on the outside. I'll dominate you with my superior physical strength. Other people know they don't have a shot at that. It's like, it ain't going to happen. So maybe they'll try being strong intellectually. They'll fortify their mind. And if I can't beat you physically, I'll outsmart you. Yeah, you think you're tough, but I'm smarter, right? That's why I carry a gun, right? So, you know, I'll beat you. Okay, we find power in other ways through our brain power. Uh, other people uh, find power in beauty. Okay, girls learn how to be, exercise this power over guys, right? And they know how to use their sex appeal to kind of melt guys, right? And some of us guys know what it's like to be melted, Right by girls. Uh, some people try to have emotional strength. You know, they be the tough guy that never cries, never shows weakness. It's just a rock outwardly. Uh, some people seek the power of a position that we use position or or authority to control others, to control our environment, to get what we want. Uh, the power of wealth. You know, if I get enough money. I can do whatever I want. I'll have the resources I need to do whatever I need. Uh, the power of bullying. You know, the, the school bully who's weak inwardly, but he's going to dominate everybody outwardly by just being mean and forcing his way upon others. You can go on the list. The power of charm and diplomacy. You know, I'm just going to manipulate people into getting what I want by being charming. And these are all outward ex- exercises of power to make up for what we know is lacking inwardly to control our world and get what we want. Uh, the end result of this is the pursuit of these things with drivenness. And the, the, the sad reality is it always comes up with great limits. Okay? It just in the end doesn't really work very well. It gives us a false temporary sense of power, but in the end it doesn't work very well because there's always somebody stronger, there's always somebody smarter, there's always somebody more cunning and crafty who cons us. And the bottom line is, no matter how much you bolster these outward strengths, we still know the truth that deep inside we are weak and broken. And we long for true strength. Well, so Paul prays that we would be strengthened in the inner man. That that the ultimate solution to all this is for God to empower us in our heart to heal and renew and strengthen our heart so that we have in us this core of strength to do what God calls us to, to believe what he has promised us. Um, He goes on, and there's there's a parallel part to this. Um, He says that God would empower you with the strength in the inner being uh, through his Holy Spirit. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. And he says also that Christ would make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Uh, the, the structure of, this, of these two sentences is they're really parallel. Sadly, a lot of translations kind of translate it like this, that if we become strong enough inwardly, then Christ will move in and live with you. Uh, 
that's, that's a little bit misleading because the presence of the Holy Spirit and the presence of Christ are one and the same thing. Okay, you don't get the Holy Spirit and not Jesus. All right? It doesn't work that way. You don't get Jesus and not the Holy Spirit. They're kind of a package deal. And the Father is kind of thrown in there somewhere as well. God doesn't say, God and Jesus don't sit in heaven going, man, that's scary. That life down there is scary. It needs work. If I go in there, it's just going to fall in and crush me. So I'll send the Holy Spirit first, and when He you know, props things up and gets things rebuilt, then I'll move in. Uh, that's, that doesn't work that way. Okay? God comes three persons, but He's one being. All right? And so this work happens simultaneously. The work of the Holy Spirit strengthening, fortifying, empowering us, fortifying us. And at the same time, Jesus gradually coming into our heart and taking up greater and more significant residence within us. It's a very unique word that Paul uses here for dwelling. And it's not the same word that John uses for the abiding presence of Christ. It really is literally a word that means to become comfortable at home. And it's the opposite of the word that's translated sojourner. So sojourner is one who pops in for a night, spends the night, and then travels on. But this word is a word that means somebody who takes up permanent residence somewhere because it's home, it's comfortable, it's where they want to be. And the picture here is this great picture of encountering Jesus in our heart. Uh, it's so important for us to realize that the, the reason this is so important is that the place we experience Christ the place where we encounter God is in our heart or our soul, this inner being. Okay? We don't encounter God in the outward life of the body. Now, there are things that God does in and through our bodies where He's there, but the place where we really experience, encounter, meet with God, have relationship with Him, is in the inner person, okay? not in this outward person. And so that's why it's so critical that we strengthen this inner man, that we get this weak, pathetic, broken heart of ours patched up and rebuilt so that Christ can meet us there. Okay, if, if, if the soul is kind of the landscape of our life, okay, the soul is like our yard, and our heart is like the house, right? And that's where the living room is, where Jesus comes in, and he comes and he abides with us, right? Um, and it's vitally important because all of our life should be lived from this center of Jesus dwelling within us. All right, uh, we all we, we're probably all here because we have a pretty strong sense of mission. We have a pretty strong sense that we're supposed to go out into the world and do stuff. All right, uh, nobody's ever you know most churches like in the West complain that nobody in their church serves God or does anything. We don't have that problem. Okay, everybody here is serving God. A lot, all right? We don't have to preach too many of those sermons about get out there and do something. Quit watching TV and eating donuts, you know, because you're all people who do lots of stuff. You're serving. It's awesome. But it's important to realize that our serving has to come from deep within us. Deep within, it has to start and originate from a core, an inner being, where Christ dwells and his light shines. Uh, you know, this time of year, you look up at the sky at night and what do you see? I guess I've been outside it much lately at night, have you? Okay? What do you see at night if you go outside? Comb rise, that's right. Well, Roger's been outside. Good job, Roger. Uh, you go out, you, you see comb rise up in the sky everywhere. And they are a great picture to me of what the Christian life is. Okay? The Christian, we are supposed to be like comb rise. There's two kinds of comb rise. There's comb rise that are up in the sky, filled with fire shining as a beacon of light in the darkness. And then there's the comrades that are in your backyard that are all burned and shelled out and dead, right? Uh, now, one of those has value because it shines as a beacon of light in the darkness. The other one is just trash, all right? Now, no matter how far that comrade has gone before it's landed, if it has no fire left in it, it's trash, it's worthless, Okay? That, to me, that's a great picture of a lot of Christian lives, right? They've gone far, they've gone very far, but they've burned out, and they're just lying dead in somebody's backyard. Useless, because there's no burning light inside, right? Just because you went a long way to serve God doesn't mean there's any fire inside, right? You can go around the world to serve God, but if there's no fire of Christ burning within you, 
If He has not taken up residence in your heart and life and is not filling you with the blaze of His light so that His light shines out from you, you're going to end up just a dead Comroy in somebody's backyard, dead and lifeless, and have no value to anybody. Right? So see, this is important stuff. Nobody wants to be a dead Comroy. We want to be a light shining. Nothing else worth is a Comroy that doesn't have enough light or fire to, to lift off. It's bad luck, right? Okay, you got to get enough inner light and heat to lift it off. Great picture of the dwelling presence of Christ in our life. Okay, our ministry, our life, our significance, our light in the world comes because Christ is shining within us. Because He has taken up residence in our heart. Because we are fortified and strengthened to the point that the fire of His life can fill us and shine out through us. Well, it says that this, this happens uh, partly by the work of the Holy Spirit who's strengthening us. Okay? He says that's one aspect of it. That it's necessary that the Holy Spirit come in and do major reconstruction and rebuilding and fortifying. But also, he says in the second part, he says that Christ will come and dwell in your hearts through faith. Okay? This, is, this is something we have an active part in. It's not only something that God does. It's something that we also have a part in. In fact, all of God's work in our life is always a cooperative effort. You understand that? God never does anything in our life solo. He always does it in conjunction and cooperation with us. And the same thing is true here. For Christ to dwell in our hearts, it takes this work of the Holy Spirit, but it also takes on our part faith. Okay, We have to exercise faith for it to happen. Well, what does that mean? Well, faith oftentimes is defined as believing in what God has done or who He is. Okay, and that is the first step of faith, to be sure. Faith is believing that God is God. Uh, if you, uh, Hebrews 11, you know, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's believing in stuff you can't see. right? It's believing that God is what He is and He's promised to do what He's going to do. That, however, is not the end or limit of faith. If all you do is believe stuff about God, you don't have faith. And sadly, a great deal of Christianity in our world today is built on believing God, but not exercising faith. All right? And that's a serious error, because you will never move forward if you simply believe truths about God, but never trust in Him. Okay, what's the difference? Well, trusting in somebody ultimately is doing what they tell you. Simple illustration. You go to the doctor, and the doctor says, yeah, you have a problem, you have this infection, and you need to take this pill twice a day, after breakfast, after dinner, you know, whatever. Okay, now you can believe what the doctor says is true. I believe the doctor's a smart guy. I believe this doctor went to a really good school and he knows what he's talking about. I believe the doctor has correctly diagnosed my problem, that I have an infection. And I believe that these pills will do something. But if I then say to the doctor, well, doctor, thank you for your help, thank you, but I don't really want your stupid pills. I don't need your help. And you walk out of his office, believing all that stuff, but not following his instructions, you have no faith in the doctor. Okay? You're not exercising trust in him. Because trust means that you do what he says. You take the pill home and you eat it because you are convinced it is the way you will get better. All right? You can use the same illustration with your mechanic in your car. You can believe in him, you can believe in his diagnosis of your broken car, but if you don't do what he says, okay, you're not really trusting. You see, true faith always has an element of obedience because it requires that our trust takes action or takes steps to do something about what, what is true in response to that belief. Uh, it's interesting, if you look, we don't have time now, but in Matthew... Uh, when Jesus is encountering the Pharisees in the temple. I believe it's that chapter 20, 21, somewhere in there in Matthew. Uh, he's condemning them because of their lack of faith. And he uses this illustration about the, um, the, vine, uh, the vine, vine grower, the, the landlord who built a vineyard. There it is. The landlord who built a vineyard, and he leased it to these tenants who beat up his servants when they went to collect the money, Right? And eventually they killed his son. 
And he says that these, he ends by saying, what will the landlord do to these disobedient tenants? And so he uses the word disobedience, but the parable is about and directed at the disbelief of uh, the, the, the religious leaders. See, those things are, are, are very synonymous in God's book. So exercising faith means, and, and appropriating Jesus' presence in our life means, first of all, believing that he is in us. Okay, It's a reality that's true. But next, it means exercising trust that we do everything he tells us to. That we listen to the promptings of our heart and soul, and we, we walk in obedience. Uh, C.S. Lewis gave this illustration of trust. Uh, when he was a young man, his brother got a motorcycle, motor, motorbike with a sidecar on it. And his brother wanted you know, C.S. Lewis to get in this sidecar. And C.S. Lewis was not a believer in motorcycles or sidecars. And he was very reluctant to get in this contraption. It was sure it was going to be the death of him. But he said his brother persisted, his brother persisted. He still didn't believe. He certainly didn't trust his brother. But at some point, he finally got in the sidecar, really not believing and completely not trusting. And he left as an unbeliever. He took a trip around, you know, through the countryside, came back. He says he got out of the sidecar a believer. Okay? He didn't really believe at first, but because he exercised faith by going on the ride, you see, his faith grew. And he developed trust. And the interesting thing about faith or trust is that you can't will it. You can't just choose to start believing something. But it grows in us as we experience it. And we experience it by taking steps of faith. Um, I want to close with just a couple practical thoughts about how to, you know, how do we do this? What does this look like? Um, are there things that we can do to exercise more faith or to work, to see the work of the Holy Spirit in the inner man at a, at a greater level? Uh, God does this. It's something that the Holy Spirit comes into our life and does. But I'm, I'm convinced that it's something we do play a part in. And the reason I'm convinced of that is that there's such, a, there's such a wide variety of people in different places of spiritual growth. If this is something God just did to us and we just passively wait for God to zap us with a bolt of lightning, uh, you know, we would just go from being completely immature to being completely mature all at once. But it doesn't work that way. Uh, it's clear that Paul prayed for this because there's something humanly that can be done. Prayer being one of those things. Okay, There are things that, that we can have a part in. So what can we do uh, to, as it were, exercise the soul? What can we do to strengthen our, our, and help in this process? Give the Holy Spirit more room to strengthen us. Well, first of all, you know, if you think of it in terms of just exercise in general or developing in general, if you want to get stronger or better at something, what do you do? Well, the first thing you do is you, you know, you, if you want to get in, in shape, uh, you want to learn a new language, usually what, what brings this about is a, painful reality that something in our life is not working. That's really the first step, right? Okay, you, you, you play golf and you play it so bad and it's never fun and you lose so many golf balls you decide either I've got to quit this game or I've got to actually learn how to play it. That's kind of where I was in golf. You know, it's like I can't afford a thousand golf balls every game. So I've got to learn how to do this better or give it up, right? Uh, you're so out of shape that you can't walk to the end of the driveway without gasping for breath. You know, I've got to change this. Okay, This isn't working. So there's some pain in our life, something that, that we're not happy about, and we, we come to the reality, this isn't good. So it's get in shape, learn a new language, uh, you know, improve some sports, uh, you know, become a better leader, learn to play an instrument. Uh, some, some, something comes into our life that inspires us or motivates us to gain this new skill or to improve or to get better at it. Um, well, if we were to do that, if we were to, to come to a place of wanting to implement this, first of all, the frustration's got to get bad enough that we really do want to do something. And I think for us, spiritually speaking, you know, we've got to get to a place where we get frustrated enough with our own inward being and the weakness and brokenness of our inward life that we decide we're going to do something about it. 
Um, out of that frustration, we tend to set a goal. Okay, we're out of shape. We just say, I'm tired of being in, out of shape. I'm going to set a goal to run a marathon. Okay, that's pretty in shape, right? Or, or maybe just run a, a mile. I don't know. Whatever. Climb a mountain. You set a goal. You get a picture in your head of how life will be better and different if you strengthen this part of your life. All right? Maybe you know, you're just tired of ordering food at a Thai restaurant and always getting the wrong thing. And you're so distraught, you decide, I'm going to learn how to speak Thai for real, right? Where they actually know what I'm saying. Right? Something like that. And so you get this picture of being able to communicate fluently and able to get, you know, all this wonderful Thai food that you see other people getting and you never know how to order, right? So you get a picture for this. And this becomes a goal, a vision in your head of what you're after. Then normally you would make some kind of plan, Right? This is what I want to do. Well, what's a plan? How am I going to go about this? Uh, we would do research. We would maybe read some books. We would find you know, teachers or instructors. We would, find, uh, we would consult with people who are already doing this well. How did you, how did you get, develop this skill? How did you get better at this? Right? We'd get some guidance. And then with their help and with this information, we would develop some kind of plan of action. Okay, to start practicing and developing these skills to start... Uh, moving in the direction of gaining strength and ability in this area we're interested in. And then lastly, once we have a plan, we would, we would devote time and energy to implementing it, right? Uh, it doesn't do any, of course, we all know how this works. You know, you get all excited about this great exercise plan and you download charts and, you know, this great workout schedule and you do it three times and you, th- and you get too busy and six months later, you know, it's just a distant dream. We know that to really make it happen, you've got to schedule time and effort. You have to make it a priority in your life. That you're going to do this. You're going to practice. You're going to try. You're going to fail. You're going to mess up and fall down, but you're going to get up and try again and keep working at it and working at it until you develop those skills and abilities and become better in that area. Well, the same thing is true in our spiritual life. Uh, you know, we need to come to a place in our life where we've really decided that we're not going to live as spiritual weaklings anymore. You know, I don't know what it is about our kind of modern culture, but especially like when I was back in the States this last summer, several people said to me, kind of as a, kind of as a matter of, like this was a good thing, well, I'm not a spiritual giant, you know. Well, why aren't we spiritual giants? Really? We put all this energy into becoming good athletes, becoming good scholars, becoming good at mus- as, as musicians, becoming good at all kinds of things. Why don't we want to be good at being spiritual? Why is that such a wrong and bad thing? Uh, now, of course, you know, it can sound kind of self-glorying if we were to say, by the way, I am a spiritual giant. <laughs> I understand there's kind of a humility thing there. But, but why is it not even something we're striving toward? You know, why is it that the great heroes of, of the past who were spiritual giants are no longer our heroes? Why is it people don't say, man, I want to be like so-and-so. I want to be like the Apostle Paul. I want to be like Moses. I want to be like David. Uh, why is it... It's not something that we pursue as a great calling of our life to be truly spiritually strong and powerful people. Why is it we can become content that somehow it's okay to be spiritually pathetic? Why? Okay. Now I know it's all about grace, but grace doesn't mean being a spiritual weakling. Okay. We ought to be people who are powerful in the spiritual realm, who are strong and able to do great things for God. Jesus said, if you just have faith, if you have the kind of faith that I want you to have, you can say to this mountain, jump into the sea and it'll do it. That should be the kind of people we want to be. We're striving to be. Okay? So we look at ourselves and we go, okay, I'm not that kind of person. And we we have to come to the point of realization that the reason we're not that kind of person is because inwardly we are broken and weak. And see, that's the problem. Nobody wants to go there. Nobody wants to go, 
Instead, we'll go, we'll go to a seminar, we'll go to workshops, we'll read books, I'll read my Bible more, I'll do anything, but don't ask me to go deal with the weakness and brokenness of my inner person. The reality is nobody wants to go there. It's kind of that closet in our house that's so messed up and so trashed up and so full of junk that we've shut the door and locked it and put a dresser in front of it so we don't even know the door is there. And we walk by it every day, and when we get close, we turn our head away just to make sure we know that we know it's not there, right? Because, because here's why. The brokenness of our heart is always painful. It has connected with it the deepest hurts and pains of our life, all right? Because it's the places where uh, our love was most damaged, our, our fragile life was most crushed, Right? And we don't want to go there. So we, we say to God, you know, let's find some other way. Let me go to one more spiritual life conference, learn how to be victorious by putting on this armor. And, you know, and, and, but, but don't ask me to deal with the pain in my heart. Okay? It can't be done. Okay, at some point, we've got to realize that the door, that we've got to move the dresser. You've got to open the door. You've got to dive in there with the help of the Holy Spirit. And as we'll see next week, bring God's love into those places and fill it with His love and goodness and His healing grace. Okay? That is essential for the strengthening of the inner man. Um, we were talking about this the other day. That um, you know, How many of us, honestly, could go off and sit in absolute silence and stillness and quiet for more than like three minutes? Okay, it's tough. Most of us cannot do that. And the reason is, in silence and solitude, okay, where we shut off the outside world, and where all we're left with is the inside, okay, it just comes looming up at us. And most of us, when that inner man comes looming up, crawling out of the hole toward us, we shut the door and turn on the radio. <laughs> turn on the TV, read a book, do anything but sit in calm and stillness and go to those quiet places of our heart that are broken and damaged. So we need to decide that things can be different. We need to decide that God is able. Can I love it here? He says in, in the beginning of this prayer that God would do this out of the riches of his, of his glorious wealth. Okay, That God has the supply of everything we need to address and deal with the inner pain of our heart and life. Okay, God has what we need. He has the power to fix it and restore it. Okay, then we need to make a plan. Okay, once we get to that point, um, we, we, we need to make a plan. I want to change this. I want to be a spiritual giant. I want to be somebody who's much stronger spiritually, who's living in the spiritual realities of Ephesians 1-3. to Make a plan. First thing, Paul prays. Uh, there's probably no better place to start in your plan than just to pray. God, I want this in my life. I pray for the empowering of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit to strengthen me in my inner man. Give me the courage to face the things in my life that I don't want to do. The things that I'm afraid of. The things that need healing. Pray. Second thing he's already told us, we need to have faith. We need to trust. And that always requires, again, obedience. I remember several years ago when I really started on this very journey. I started my plan. I started to get to work. I started going to my heart and to my soul and to the inner man. And the first thing God did is He pointed out these horrible sins in my life that were unconfessed. And I did not want to deal with those things. I did not want to. And He was saying, I want you to deal with these unconfessed areas of your life. And I said, I'd rather not. Okay? But every time I try to go back to be quiet and still and work on my inner man, all I could see was this ugly thing in my life that I had never dealt with. And God kept saying, no, you've got to do this. You, you want me? This is standing in the way. We've got to get it out of here. You've got to let me get my hands on it. Right? And that's what happens. God will start prompting things in you that will require you to trust Him enough to be obedient. Okay, it may be to talk to another person. It may be to go seek counsel. It may be, uh, I don't know what God will have you do. But we have to trust Him enough that He is the good doctor. And the pill He's asking us to swallow is for our good and our healing. So we have to trust. Thirdly, 
uh, it's great to get help from those who have done this. There are tons of resources, books. Uh, you know, so there are seminars of how to do this. There are counseling resources. There are people who are doing this. There are mentors. There are people who are on this journey. Talk to them. Read their books. I would recommend a good place to start is a book uh, by Dallas Willard, um, The Renovation of the Heart. Great starting point to talk about this whole part of our life. Um, of course, there's no substitute for actually reading the Bible. I would go there. Drilling God's Word, not into just our intellect, but into our soul, into our heart. Letting God's Word speak to the deep areas of our life. Just this past week, uh, reading God's Word, trying to let it sink into the depth of my soul, I became aware of the fact that every time I came across uh, a phrase, a word in Scripture where God said, He wants to pour out His unfailing love. He wants to help me. He wants to give me His grace and kindness. I became aware of something deep inside of me that says, Well, yeah, but. Okay? I want to love you, Tim. Well, yeah, but. Right? And I started thinking, I started to become aware of that deep inside of me. Now, in my head, I know that. But I'm going, what's still lingering inside? And, and I had this picture of just this fence. It's like I'd let God get up to this fence, but I wouldn't really let him come over the fence. Yeah, you want to love me, but I'm not so sure I want that. I'm not so sure I want you that close, right? I started praying, God, what's that about? What is that in me that's keeping you at a safe distance, right? Letting his word come deep into our life. And then finally, last thing is just get to work. Devoting time and energy to this discipline. Okay, you can have this great plan. You can have great intentions. But if you don't schedule time in your life, it will not happen. You are way too busy. And you'll get busier, all right, if you don't schedule time to, to do soul work, to exercise. Okay? If I'm going to get in shape, I've got to schedule time at the gym. Or time running, time exercising. Okay, if I don't schedule it, it doesn't happen. Same thing exercising our soul. And it ought to be the top of our priority list. Okay, just let me leave you with this last image as we close. Okay, a sinking dead Comroy, falling out of the sky, black, burnt up, shriveled. Okay, this is you if you don't exercise your soul, right? This is where you're headed, guaranteed, all right? Because without the filling work of Christ coming in, burning, filling us with the light of His glory. Okay? The, the results are not good. I know from personal experience, okay, more than once, I've been this crumpled, burned-out Comroy. Okay? And many of you have too. We don't want to be there. Okay? We want to be experiencing and enjoying God's blessings. Let's pray. Father, this is just uh, such a powerful prayer packed with so much incredible meaning and, uh, and really um, relevance for our life. Um, Lord, it's, it's essential for us to appropriate all that you've promised, all these great spiritual blessings, for, for us to enjoy them and live in them, for us to be the kind of people who are worthy of our calling who are serving you well. It's vital that Christ uh, live in our hearts and that we experience him uh, in real and tangible ways in the inner person. Lord, I just thank you so much that that's why you came and died, is so that you could take up residence in our life. This is the whole point of the gospel, that we would be uh, living with Christ in us and living in you. Father, we just pray that you would, uh, you would give us a commitment to this discipline of, of soul work, of, of spiritual exercise. Lord, that, uh, that we would not be satisfied with where we are now spiritually. That we would lo- long to take more possession of Christ and of your promises to grow deeper into your love, to be more firmly established and rooted and grounded in your incredible love and goodness. Lord, help us not be satisfied with, with where we are. Help us to be thankful for where we are, but 
by your grace, you are doing this work in us. But, but let us always be striving to be so much more in Christ. We pray in your name. Amen.